Hello and welcome to Open School of Business. Today I have a pleasure to introduce you to Brian Landau. He's the co-founder and CEO of Venly. Venly is the first uh, spiritual health platform providing non-denominational short-form audio content uh, from diverse network of top spiritual and community leaders. Uh, today we're going to talk about his startup and his experience uh, in leading Venly. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brian. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure. Could you please start off uh, just by explaining more about Venly uh, and how you pulled a team together to start working on it? Yeah, of course. So I'll start. I'll start with the team, um, which is uh, a distributed team. So depending on when you might be listening to this piece of content, uh, there's a chance that you might be confronted with COVID nineteen and work from home uh, scenarios. And my team is a distributed team. Uh, so it's myself and my co-founders. Uh, one is in Vermont. One is in New York City. I'm in New Jersey. We have a mobile developer who's in Bogota in Colombia. Um, and you know these uh, these teams come together, I think, in different ways. For me, it was through personal networks. Actually, my brother-in-law is one of my co-founders. A longtime friend is another one. Uh, and we we're able to find an incredibly talented mobile developer, the the gentleman who's in uh, Bogota through personal networks. Um, and so for us, it, it had been, hey, I'm working on this thing. I'm thinking about this thing. What do you think about it? And you know, the other person was like, oh, that's super interesting. I've been thinking about something sort of similar. I'm looking to make this move in my career. And so that, that's how our team came to be. But the conversations uh, were really sort of early on uh, a little bit different. And you know, my journey to starting Venly and being part of this uh, founding management team is uh, not a eureka moment. It, it, it was a long process to this point. It didn't happen overnight. Um, the, the quick backstory is like so many people, I was pretty unhappy in a job. Uh, I was in a pretty dysfunctional work environment. I was working for someone um, that uh, had taken a lot of the purpose and fulfillment out of my job away from me. And I, I identify as a secular person. Um, I uh, as an adult, hadn't participated with faith uh, communities in, in a real way. And I, I didn't have the language for it at the time, um, but what I was craving was spiritual care. And I didn't know really what that meant a couple of years ago. But I started asking friends of mine, some of my now co-founders are included, you know, what do you do when, you know, things are sort of hard for you? Uh, and conversely, what do you do in these moments of great joy um, whether it's getting married or having, having children. And um, for a lot of people, many of whom who grew up going to parochial high schools and uh, maybe a, a sleepaway camps that were connected to faith communities, you know, the answer was, you know, I don't know. I, I participate a little bit here or there. Maybe I go to a place of worship a couple times a year, or maybe I don't. Um, maybe I find community in yoga and spin class, or I speak to a therapist. But yeah, there is something sort of amiss. Um, and then I started asking for introductions to spiritual leaders uh, and started asking like, you know, people like me who maybe aren't showing up um, to your place of worship, like, what are you doing to connect with me, to help me? How are you engaging with me? And there are some people in the faith, faith, in the faith space, excuse me, who do really progressive, incredible things. But 
for a lot of people, it was sort of like, yeah, it's hard for us as spiritual leaders to reach, you know, people who might identify as spiritual but not religious or might participate uh, with a place of worship seldom or never. And so this was really the beginning of this process. It, it really started as an intellectual curiosity of mine is, you know, thinking about this world really as a something of an inefficient marketplace where there's some spiritual leaders who are incredible. And then there are people like me who are seeking this wisdom, but didn't necessarily know where to turn to for that. And that intellectual curiosity, you know, quickly became something of a product vision, which became a product, which became a, a company. And, uh, and so how I found my management, uh, my co-founders and my management team was really sort of through this exploration of saying like, you know, what do you think? What do you do? How do you find spiritual health and spiritual fulfillment? Um, and and that, that was really the, the journey to this point and how we found the team and how the company started. Okay. And uh, um, I really love the way you were explaining that it came from your own personal experience. Uh, and I know that uh, from my personal experience and also a lot of people who are just uh, are confronted um, by a situation or a problem, we always turn into internet and we start searching uh, for blogs, YouTube videos, etc. And um, uh, how did you come up with this uh, sort of medium? And why do you think this is more effective than, for example, um, a listening to a video on YouTube uh, from your uh, spiritual guru or anybody who who sounds like that they know the, uh, uh, an answer to your situation, for example. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, was it uh, through a certain uh, trial and error uh, uh, period where you were engaging with your clients and uh, with the users of your app? Uh, or was it through a certain research? Uh, how did you find out that this would be the more effective way? to communicate? Yeah, so um, you were hitting it really right on the head in your question. So my background is I'm not a, a spiritual leader myself. I didn't go to divinity school. I'm not a seminarian. I'm not ordained. My background was in media and content creation. And in fact, I've worked in audio and podcasting throughout my career. And when I was sort of searching for spiritual wisdom, I was like, well, you know, I know a lot about podcasting. I'm sure I could find some really good ones. And there are really good podcasts. Um, but one of the issues with podcasting and YouTube videos and blogs is anyone can create them, right? And on comedy, right, or sports, you're either like funny or you're not. You either have a good take on the sports game or, or you don't. But on questions in faith and spirituality, what I found was that credibility mattered a great deal. And so when you go and search for faith and spirituality content, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube or a blog, who is this person who is speaking to me is really important, right? Because anyone can create anything. And like, you know, I could, I could create a podcast and, you know, God spoke to me in the middle of the night and I can say some really terrible things. And because I'm clever, I could get a bunch of people to listen to that. What we want to do was build this really safe space for people. And so the content within our app is in audio. We think that audio is an incredibly intimate and important way to communicate wisdom. And in building an app, we want to build this safe space and this brave space for individuals to go and seek out some of the most credible, thoughtful, articulate individuals in the world. And for us to deliver that content 
in a short form way. So on average, the content in our app is about six minutes long. Um, we didn't want the long form scripture heavy stuff. There's a lot of that out in the world and a lot of it is quite good. We wanted to create something that was a little bit different. A lot of the stuff that exists on the internet already is sort of what I would define as channel specific, right? So by a Baptist minister for Baptist people, by Jesuits for Jesuits, by a rabbi for a Jewish person, by an imam for a Muslim person. And what we wanted to do was create content that was more universal in nature. So within the app, we present the content not by channel, right, like faith channel, but rather by topic. So there's an identity topic or a marriage topic or a parenting topic. And when you select on one of those topic areas, you, you'll find content from a whole host of individuals across different faith traditions, cultural backgrounds, gender identities, who've created content. And you can search and listen to the content that resonates with you most on that topic. And so that's how we arrived at this place was really sort of doing this evaluation of what was already out there and saying, look, there's good stuff. There's audiences for that. There's no question about that. But we think there's an opportunity to create something that feels a little bit different. And that is both in how it's communicated, the topic, uh, and also sort of the delivery of it in an app in this you know, highly curated space. Right. I, and I love that it's really short. I think it's a um, a real good selling point because oftentimes uh, for people to really dive into an hour conversation or an hour lecture on YouTube, um, people just don't have enough time sometimes or enough commitment. And when you are in some sort of a situation and you need um, just a couple of words of encouragement to get you started, it's really ideal. So in that sense, I, I really like your um, format and it's audio and it's short. Um, however, I was wondering when you were saying curated, um, what is the process for, um, for people to sign up, for example, if they're a spiritual leader um, or maybe uh, some people would say, oh, I haven't found anything about this um, topic, can they uh, reach out to you and add it, for example? Yeah, so if someone uses the app and they want to request some content, there's a button that allows people to ask a question and then that gets distributed to our contributor partners and they then in turn create content. So if you're a user and you're like, I really want to hear a perspective on this specific topic, uh, that's available to you. But the other question of like, who are these people who are participating? There are about 65 spiritual leaders um, within uh, our network of individuals who are contributing content. And, you know, there's over 30 faiths that are represented across those 65 individuals. Um, it's about 50-50 gender skew. It's about 50-50 um, people who are uh, people of color. You know, we've tried to build a network that is reflective of the society that we live in with respect to diversity metrics. And when I first started in this journey, you know, I was starting to ask for introductions to spiritual leaders. I was pretty intimidated by American religion as a construct. It felt like this humongous thing. And I started asking for introductions by asking pretty simple, obvious questions at, that an outsider might ask, like, who's good, right? Who's willing to do interfaith work? Um, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about creating an app that's interfaith. Exactly. It's more multi-faith, but like, you would have to participate in interfaith circles to sign up to be a part of this. Like, so like, who's doing this work? And what I found was that the world shrunk down pretty quickly and that, you know, the best people 
regardless of their faith traditions or their cultural backgrounds or gender identities or sexual orientations, know one another. And so how we've gone about building this network is almost entirely through peer referrals. So I would sit there with you and I would say, who do you know who's really great, who's of a different faith tradition or who is of a different cultural background? And you might offer three names and right. And then I would say, can I use your name and reach out to these people? And you would say, of course. And, and so there's a very long, tiresome process in some ways, like it was relentless work to find these individuals um, and to start working with them just because you know, you're showing up as, as an unknown. Right? I'm like, here, I'm this guy with this idea, I wanna build this app, but the spiritual leaders that we, we've worked with have been the most gracious, incredible individuals. And um, you know, on a personal level, being able to interact with these individuals uh, on a daily basis is one of the great joys of, of my life. And um, I've learned so much from them and, and have gained so much clarity in my life just from being in conversation with them. Um, really regardless of what their faith tradition is or anything like that. And I think that's sort of the point when you're, when you're with the best type of spiritual leader, um, you can't help but feel a little bit better about the world and, and better about yourself through that process. Yes, it must be an enlightening position to be in to um, bring in all that knowledge and distribute it to people. I think that's really amazing. Yeah. And you were talking about like word of mouth and introductions. So in, in, in a way, it's a very safe uh, network um, for referrals, uh, for your um, contributors. Um, so was it very similar when it came to funding and investors as well? No, totally different. Uh, fundraising is a totally different skill set. As I've learned, it was my first time doing it uh, and fundraising. I, well, I suppose it depends what type of business you're trying to start. Um, if you are building a technology business, chances are you need to get outside funding just because you need to hire engineers and marketing and stuff like that. It uh, can be quite expensive, uh, particularly consumer technology, which is the space that I'm in, right? I'm trying to sell to regular people um, a subscription to our app. And so fundraising is a totally different skill set, uh, as I've learned, than building a contributor network. They're both really hard. You both, in both scenarios, you have to be you know, somewhat charismatic and articulate, right? You have to convince someone to participate, um, but they're, they're totally different, um, totally different in, in how we approach them and both really hard, both very gratifying in some ways, but uh, I've heard no fundraising more than I've heard no uh, convincing uh, individuals to uh, contribute content to our platform for whatever that's worth, right? I mean, I, I just think <laughs> it's a different, it's a different, Fundraising is really, really hard. You know, I think when I went into it, I was like, all right, like I'm going to raise this money. I have a really great concept. I have a great team, you know, and we'll go for it. And at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to get people to wire you their money, right? I mean, you're asking for $5,000, $20,000, $100,000, whatever that amount of money is. I mean, people don't like spending 50 cents on something, let alone wiring you $25,000. So you hear no a lot when you're fundraising and that's just something you have to sort of have amnesia on, right? You just got to move forward and understand that like maybe that was a qualified investor for your business or maybe it wasn't, but you can't take the no's too personally and you have to celebrate the yeses because it's really hard work fundraising. That's like one of the best pieces of advice I could give to <laughs> someone who's aspiring to, to do that. Like you're going to hear no an awful lot. You can't take it personally, but you have to hear the feedback and try and adapt in real time so that you're better prepared for your next conversation. 
Right. Um, and so that we are on uh, the topic of financing, uh, you were talking about the contributing partners or the content creators. Uh, is there a sort of a business model that involves them or what no. is the general overall business model for Venly? Yeah, because no, of, it's of course. free to use, right? Well, it's free to download and then there's a free trial period. And then after that trial period, it goes behind a, a paywall of $4.99 a month. Um, so it is a paid app after that trial period. So the consumer pays to access the app and they can then listen to unlimited content. Um, we pay royalties to our contributor partners and they're also compensated in some other ways. We felt very strongly about compensating our spiritual leader partners. I think, you know, what, one of the things that became very apparent to me, particularly um, spiritual leaders who might be uh, at a place of worship or might be leading non-for-profits is they are fundraising for their salaries, right? They're, they're fundraising to keep the lights in their church open, uh, on, excuse me. And that's not why they signed up to do this work, right? They signed up to do this work because they want to serve community and they've used theology as a vehicle to serve their communities. And so, you know, in creating Venly, you know, one of the skill sets and one of the jobs of a spiritual leader frequently is public speaking, right? They get on, on, up on the stage, the pulpit, and they, uh, they give a sermon, right? In creating audio content with these individuals, you know, we think that we're creating something of an adjacency, right, to their day-to-day -day work. And if we feel very strongly about compensating them for that work, um, and, you know, I don't think, um, I, I, I think our spiritual leaders would agree that, like, we have taken immense care in trying to figure out new and creative ways to compensate them. Uh, and so, Hopefully we get out of COVID-19 and right. And if, if one of our spiritual leaders wants to take their family to Disney world one day, uh, hopefully we can play a role in helping to support that financially. So that's, that's um, we're, we're very committed to that. Yeah. That's a wonderful, a community-based uh, approach uh, to financing. And uh, especially during the pandemic, uh, I'm assuming there would be more users to your platform. Um, so the question is, how did uh, the pandemic affect your business right now? So because we, so there, there's sort of two parts of that question. So there's the day-to-day -day business operations. And because we're already a remote distributed team, um, it actually didn't impact us at all, right? Like we were already set up with the tools that were required to do remote work. And we already had a pretty good cadence internally of how we were communicating to one another and uh, when we were doing stand-up video calls, for example, or um, how, how you might communicate over Slack, right, as an internal messaging tool. So business operations, COVID-19 hasn't really impacted us that much, but you're right, it has impacted, um, you know, the, the consumer side. And I think people are really, you know, thirsty for spiritual nourishment at this point, right? And, you know, there's immense, immensely wonderful resources like Headspace and Calm and 10% Happier. These are mindfulness apps. We see ourselves as a little bit different, right? So whereas Headspace and Calm might help you reduce your anxiety or help you sleep better at night through guided meditations, what we're trying to do is create wisdom content to help you overcome the challenges and, and also the good parts, right? And it's just not overcoming challenges. We're in a particularly challenging time right now, but you know, getting married is a really exciting thing. And we talk about that too, right? Having kids, we talk about that also. Um, and so I, we're, we're carving out a really important niche, I believe, within this space of delivering spiritual wisdom to individuals at a time when I think many of us feel a bit amiss 
uh, and unknown about what the future has in store. Right, I think it has uh, people confused um, and feeling isolated, uh, feeling lost in some cases. Um, and uh, with this podcast, uh, I have been also contributing to um, giving advice to startup owners and small business owners to navigate this space and uh, to pivot their ideas, uh, re-optimize processes, adapt, uh, get loans that can be forgiven later, mm-hmm. um, get organized in general. Um, so that's why some of the questions during this episodes are directed to that. Um, as a startup founder yourself, uh, what kind of advice do you have uh, for your fellow uh, startup owners and small business owners? So I think the best advice that I could give someone, particularly if they're thinking about starting a business, because um, you know you have the wisdom to to help communicate like how you get you know <laughs> uh, business loans. There's a lot of stuff out there on that. I, I think what doesn't get spoken about enough is when you're first starting your business, when you're first thinking about taking that leap, uh, and it is a leap, right? Um, I think there's this overemphasis in some ways on developing a business plan or developing a pitch deck. And that stuff is important. I'm not dismissing that, but I I think what gets neglected is whether or not the founder has identified a support system, right? Because starting a business and operating a business when you don't have a ton of resources and no one has ever heard of you is a very, can be a very lonely, isolating, frustrating experience. And there will be times that you wanna quit And there'll be times that you don't think you can do it. And maybe there's times that you should quit and you should go get a real job, right? Uh, That's that's a determination that every founder, I think at some point probably has to make for himself and herself. But what I would say is like, have you built a team around you? Not co-founders, not not employees. Have you built a network around you of friends and family that will be there to support you, to encourage you, that will be there to listen to you complain in a non-judgmental way? And that is the thing that I would start with before I ever write another business plan or put together another pitch deck is, do I have the, the support of people that matter to me so that when things get a little bit hard, I can go to them and I can just vent for 10 minutes and they will be uh, a, a resource and a sounding board for me in that moment. And so the best advice I could give to any founder, anyone thinking about starting a business is the first thing you should do is find those individuals in your life and ask them if it's okay for you to engage with them down the road as you continue on and so that you can share your successes with them because that's also really important. But there might be some more bumps in the road before you get to your successes and you need those individuals to be there for you throughout that process. And so that, that I think is uh, the best advice I could offer a founder. Yes, that's amazing. And it's really important um, for success and uh, just for keeping you sane day to day. Um, and uh, we're also curious about um, how, like you were saying, the sort of a timeline of how Venley was developing and uh, what were the challenging moments and how you got out of it. And where do you um, currently stand? Um, if you can give us a bit more of a story there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this has been... Um 
a, a journey, right? And, and, and it's a journey that I think in some ways is still, you know, pretty early on, you know, I hope, right? I hope that I can operate this thing for a long, long time and, and add a lot of value to people along the way. Um, I've always thought about Venly as something of a marketplace where on one side of the marketplace, there are people like me, right, who are looking for this wisdom. And on the other part of the marketplace, there's spiritual leaders who are great and articulate and committed to helping people, right? Um, and so somewhere in between developing the two sides of this marketplace, we needed to build tools to facilitate that. So we've built, you know, consumer apps, an iPhone app and an Android app. Uh, we built actually a custom audio recording suite because many of the spiritual leaders that we wanted to work with didn't have access to a studio, didn't have an understanding or an interest in learning how to use GarageBand or Audacity, some of the do-it-yourself mm -hmm. audio recording tools. And so like our first 20 conversations with spiritual leaders that we want to work with, they would basically say like, I don't have access to a studio. I don't know how to use GarageBand. I'm really busy. I want to do this with you, but like, I'm not going to learn GarageBand, like figure out a way to make this happen for me. Right. And we also wanted to work with people all over the country. We wanted to work with the most talented people, whether they're in New York or Washington, DC or Fresno, California. We wanted to identify the best people. And so we needed a tool to do that, right? And we also wanted to do production on the content. We wanted to approve the content. We wanted to build a full stack to support the, the, the apps and the recording suite. So before we actually built the apps, we built this web-based recording suite. So it's been, it's been a long journey, um, right? To developing a contributor network, building software to support them. And then the, the apps are just delivery mechanisms right i mean we've taken a lot of time and energy and, and resources to build them but you know it's the delivery of that and um that's that's been like the journey to this point is you know having those conversations understanding the pain points understanding the best way to communicate this wisdom what are the tools that we can build you know how would a consumer want to receive that content and then once you think you have it figured out you know, you put your app out there in the world and people start using it a little bit differently than you expected them to, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And then so you have to optimize for what the realities are as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's maybe a little long-winded, but, you know, that, that was our, our process to this point was really thinking, really chunking out the work and thinking about like, all right, well, who do we want to work with? Who's the end user? You know, how are we going to distribute this content? Uh, right before I can actually think about how to distribute the content, I got to create the content. What are the tools available? Oh, I have to actually build something here. And so it's been, it's been, um, it's been an amazing journey, but you know, things pop up that are unexpected. And I think one of the, the challenges of, of entrepreneurship is, you know, figuring out what's a nice to have and thinking, figuring out what's a must have. Um, and making those hard decisions and being willing to say, like, actually, this is a nice to have and I need to allocate my resources in this need to have here, even if I forego maybe some value creation on the nice to have part. Right. And uh, I think um, communicating with your uh, users um, is also the key that you were talking about. Uh, how do you promote what's your main channel? to promote the app right now? Yeah, so it's really two, two channels. It's, um, you know, we've built this contributor network and so we rely on our, our contributors who are spiritual leaders to share this with their networks. And then the other part for right now is just paid media, right? Like we're, we're not big enough yet that I have TechCrunch and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal writing about us. And maybe one day that will happen. 
um, or I should say covering us, right? Um, right? Right, in the way that they cover Uber or Facebook, right? Like every day there's another article about those companies. Um, for us, you know, we buy a lot of um, Apple ad store ads uh, and also Google Play ads uh, to generate some top of funnel engagement. And then as people move through our funnel, uh, we have different touch points primarily through email marketing to re-engage them. Um, so that we keep them engaged and get them through the funnel because at the top of the funnel, right, we have a subscription-based app, right? So at the top of the funnel, someone downloads the app, they install it, then they need to listen to some content and hopefully they love it. And then hopefully they come back and listen to some more. And then eventually we need them to subscribe and then we need them to stay with us, right, as a subscribed user. So right. we use a lot of email marketing to, to drive that engagement funnel. Um, and when we're able to, I mean, not everyone has the time, but when we're able to, we love you know, setting up calls with, with subscribers to understand what they like, what they don't like, ways that we can be better. And so right. we try and take a real um, sort of user first approach to, to b developing the product, right? Really trying to understand how people use it and, and what, what they value in the, in the journey. Right. Um, and uh, what would be your main KPI right now to, um, that you're tracking? Yeah. Um, well, it's a retention KPI. You know, we measure it by listens, number of listens, um, right? Because it's an audio platform. So, you know, someone has to listen to several pieces of content. And if we can get them to a certain benchmark, we feel good about them subscribing. So that's the KPI that, that we measure. Right. And um, um, do you have certain techniques or things that you change according to how the KPI changes? Still pretty early on that it will change, but for right now we have we have a true north metric that we try and measure against um, with time that might evolve. But for right now, it's it's we're still pretty early in our in our process here. So you know we haven't we haven't done much optimization. I would I would call it against that true north metric um, mm -hmm. that's stayed relatively static. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure as a. Um, um, as you said that your journey is ahead of you and as a young startup, um, what do you feel like your growth plan is, especially considering uh, the new paradigm? Are you going to uh, pitch more and try get more investors uh, or are you gonna heavily rely on the consumer part and on the growth part? Well, it's both, right? They're connected, right? Um, you need more money to fuel growth, um, right. right? And I need, you know, if, if you have more money, you can hire more engineers, you can develop, you know, products faster and build new features that add value, which helps you with retention, right? Like, they're all super connected. You know, like, I think one of the big questions that a lot of startups are trying to figure out right now is like, can I fundraise in this environment? Right. You know, our, yeah. our, you know, funds writing checks are high net worth individuals writing checks. And I think it's really dependent upon the stage that you're at. You know, for us, we're really early on. Right. And we're, we're talking to high net worth individuals and angels and maybe seed stage investors. Uh, it's different than if you're a series C company and you've raised, you know, $60 million already. And, you know, you, you can sort of pull certain levers and, you know, on cost savings and right. Like there's, I think we all have a different calculus to measure against, but I think we're all trying to figure out like, is there capital available to us to, to continue to grow this? And you know, we feel strongly that we have a, the right product at the right time. It's a little bit of a different pitch, but 
you know, we're all dealing with uh, economic uncertainties and, and as are, as are the investors, right? Even the wealthiest people, you know, might have seen their, their net worth decrease by 20% over the last six weeks, right? We're, we're end of April right now, right? For, for a timestamp. Yeah. So big. it's tricky. It's a tricky, it's a tricky balance. And I think, you know, we've taken measures on our end to cut burn rate where we can. And I think a lot of people are trying to hunker down and, and, you know, see where we are, you know, June 1st, right? And, and hopefully we have a different uh, economic outlook at that point. But I, I think from where I sit right now, it's a little early to know. Yes. And um, uh, in general, I think it's good timing for growth and uh, for uh, doing that work that all the projects that you had in mind, all the tweaking that you need to do. And it's really great that you guys are all spread out and uh, very used to working like this. So the disruption hasn't really uh, had any impact on your business. Um, and uh, I was doing a little bit of um, uh, Googling on the company. And usually I look up startups on Product Hunt. And I was just wondering why you uh, haven't posted the app there. Yeah, no, it's a great, I it's a find it. Yeah, we, we haven't posted it on Product Hunt. You know, we're hoping to get a little bit farther along on our Android app before we get to that point, but hopefully okay. soon, hopefully soon. So yeah, I think the future is then going to be uh, more exciting and fun and we're gonna hear more and more about the app. Um, and I always ask um, our podcast guests about their favorite books that have made an impact either in their lives or careers. Um, so if you could share one of those. Uh, what do, you know, I, um, I was a history major in college, um, but I was a European history major. So I like, I know a lot about Henry VIII and I woke up one day, not so long ago. And I was like, you know what? I don't know a ton about America, American history. Um, and specifically the founding, founding uh, fathers. And uh, so I, I read a bunch of presidential biographies recently, and there was a, one on, on George Washington in particular, which was really, um, it was called His Excellency. And it was just a really beautiful book. It did, a, I think, a really great job of trying to contextualize the time that George Washington lived in, helping us understand um, as a reader, you know, some of the nuances to his personality, to the time. And, you know, it's a real important study in leadership. Um, and, and I, I took a ton, uh, a ton from it. Um, it's a book that sort of has been more recent for me, but it's one that as I thought about my own leadership style and understanding what moves people and understanding, um, you know, what what does and doesn't work sometimes when you're trying to communicate in tough situations right like it didn't look very good for the american army uh when they were fighting the british for much of that war and george washington was trying to constantly you know ask congress for more resources it, it's not so dissimilar from from a, a founder trying to ask investors for more money for a bridge loan um and so understanding you know um sort of his personality and, and the complexities and the stress level that, you know, he was going through as part of the American revolution. Um, somewhat unexpectedly, I took a lot from that uh, and I've been able to apply hopefully some, some of the good parts to uh, how I operate as a leader. 
Okay. And uh, that's a good uh, segue to my next question about uh, Venley's um, corporate culture, or at least the culture you would like to build as a founder. Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, we're a really small team. Um, you know, we, we really value, or I really value, and my, my colleagues, co-founders, like as a team, we really value independence, really value, you know, creative thinking. You know, I think, you know, one thing that I, I'm really focused on is can I create, can I help put my colleagues and co-founders and employees in a position to be successful? Um, and that means putting them on good projects, or that might mean freeing up resources for an initiative that they want to push forward with that adds value to the company. And so, you know, I really value entrepreneurial thinking. And I think there's a huge opportunity for entrepreneurship, right? So like within the context of a company, can you be entrepreneurial? Um, and that's, that's, you know, the culture that, um, that we're, we're putting forward. And then of course, you know, there's other things that are incredibly important, like, you know, it has to be a safe space for people to come to work. People should feel valued. People should be communicated with, uh, with honesty and consistency. Um, providing that type of consistent feedback is really important. So we build things throughout the course of the week to uh, provide opportunities for people to showcase their work and provide feedback. Um, but really, you know, I, I want to hire the best people. And I want to hire people who are eager to make an impact in, in the world. And I think, you know, as a mission based company, there's a real opportunity for people to, you know, make a big impact in the world and in this job, which is maybe different from other corporate settings. So that's, that's really the culture that we're hoping to build here and create against. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this um, app um, is very different from like what apps are popular these days. And uh, I feel like it's so unique and has so much uh, light that it's bringing and um, it's just really good like um, in terms of being uh, for the better of society for the better good of people and the humanity so I I'm really excited about talking about your app because um, uh, it's just not very often you see apps that are uh, uh, turned more inward rather than outward. There are a lot of productivity apps. There are a lot of collaboration apps. And um, the, even though they have a place to be and they're really needed in our society, I think this one is really unique. And um, uh, I think that that's really the most important thing about it. It's unique and has uh, so much potential to make a big impact by changing one person's life at a time and changing it for the better. So um, I'm really excited about uh, the app and uh, we, I would like to know more about your growth plan um, so we can see Venley grow and become really popular. No, thank you for those really kind words. Uh, my growth plan, I, you're going to tell all of your friends and then they're going to tell all of their friends. Um, no, I look, I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, as I mentioned just before, I, I think, you know, it's, it's really 
gratifying to contribute. This is the first time in my life I'm not artistic, right? I, I, I'm not a painter. I'm not a musician. Uh, it's the first time in my life that I took an idea and created something tangible. Um, and that has been horrifying and stressful and also like the most purposeful, gratifying work I've ever done in my life. And, you know, to hear that someone, you know, feels like 5% better uh, about themselves in that moment because they're able to interact with something that I care about in the form of this product means, means everything to me. You know, I, we, we made some product decisions really early on and uh, I'll get to your question about growth. You know, like TikTok is, is fun, right? It's, it's a, it's a great app. It's fun. Um, it's viral, right? Yes. What we learned <laughs> and, and, and addictive, right? You know, what, what we learned very early on is that many people find social media to be an incredibly unsafe space to go and explore questions on faith and spirituality that Twitter and Facebook are like war zones with respect to these questions. That and so, very true. Yeah. so we made a decision early on to like not make this a social network in any way that there's no commenting on content, um, that there isn't a chat feature and, and down the road we'll be thoughtful about whether or not there's demand for that. But we felt very strongly early on to make this a, a private space for people. And so, you know, our growth plan, it's hopefully people will write about us. Hopefully there'll be other podcasts that'll invite me to come speak. Hopefully you'll tell your friends, we'll buy some more ads, but we're willing to give up some virality um, to create this safe, brave space for people to explore this content and to have that be their experience that wasn't necessarily um, broadcast to the universe, right? If, if you're if you've lost a loved one and you need to go listen to some grief content to help you get through that experience, like that's your experience. It doesn't need to be posted on Facebook. If someone feels compelled enough to share that with their community because they were moved in that way, incredible. Um, but we made some product decisions early on to really make this like an insular experience for people and to really protect, you know, the identities of our contributors to the extent that we can, but then also to protect sort of the, the search and exploration of the user as well. Right. And I think that makes a difference um, in the eyes of the users too, to differentiate the wholesome product from not so wholesome. And uh, even addictiveness can be good if it's addicted to the right content um, and to the things that can move the person along to his or her goal or to where they want to be. So um, I think it, it's really uh, great that you chose to um, have a model of more intimate and private uh, experience for the users. Um, uh, however, uh, in terms of growth, I think maybe I was also thinking about expanding into different languages or, yeah, or just different countries. Uh, so how, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the short answer is absolutely. You know, we've taken on English language. Like these are the questions that we'll need to navigate, right? We've taken on English language. Um, you know, do we translate that, you know, into Spanish, for example, or right. do we need to find Spanish speaking spiritual leaders, right? Th these are some of the decisions that we'll need to make down the road. Um, and hopefully we'll be informed by a ton of, you know, consumer feedback in that way. But yeah, international expansion, language expansion, you know, before COVID 
and hopefully we'll be able to resume some of this work is, you know, what does it look like to convene people in person, right? So we're this great digital resource that sits in your pocket. It's there for you whenever you need it. But like, what would it look like to be, you know, at a, in a room with a handful of these contributors to talk about something going on in the world, right? As part of like a lecture series or a workshop. Um, I think there's big opportunities for that as well. Yeah, that would be really exciting. And um, in that sense, I was also wondering how do you usually uh, communicate or build the communications with your users? Do you have a certain person who is responsible for that in the company and it's their job or um, everyone sort of chips in and does their part? Yeah, every, everyone chips in. I, you know, there's um, everyone chips in at a company of our stage and our size. Everyone's doing everything. You know, our, our CTO is also our head of product. Right. Uh, so he, he's intimately involved in a lot of those conversations because a lot of the questions has to do with, like, how are you using the product? Um, but, you know, the, the people who are responsible for marketing are also involved. Right. Because we want to understand how likely they are to recommend this to a friend or how they came to, uh, to hear about us, um, understanding sort of the word of mouth referral networks are important, right? Um, and so it's all hands on deck with respect to that. There might be one individual who handles one conversation, um, but we're all sort of looped in to what, what the, the feedback is on that. All right. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for today's discussion. And I hope to have you back on our podcast with some um, more news and uh, exciting growth, uh, maybe in about six months. Great. And uh, we uh, wish you uh, best of luck. And uh, I encourage all of our listeners to check out Vanley in your app store and uh, try it out for a month, like Brian said. I think uh, it's something um, like right now, a lot of people are, eating organic versus um, conventional. So you can start consuming wholesome media as well. Um, And uh, that would give you a little bit more um, calmness and uh, a little bit more clarity in your space uh, as opposed to some of the confusion and, and the discussions that you get into on social media. So, um, Thank you so much, Brian, for your time today. And uh, good luck with Ben Lee. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to make, uh, make your acquaintance and thank you for having me.